Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 253. And with us on our Zoom podcast today, uh, we've got uh, three of uh, MotorWeek's finest, Brian Robinson, our two-wheeling uh, reporter and writer of most of the road tests. Brian, welcome. Hello, and yes, welcome to our Zoom meeting. And uh, our over the for everybody, our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos, who's also the producer of this fiasco. I, remi- I miss you uh, and introing our podcast around that weirdly shaped table we always seem to mention. (laughs) It's different. And of course, uh, the lady who basically makes everything online click at MotorWeek, our online content coordinator, Jessica Ray. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to uh, interrupt my MotorWeek binge watching session. Um, You should should tell everybody what you're doing. Okay. So um, our 40th anniversary show is coming up in a few weeks and um essentially i am taking the uh a lot of our masters or most of our masters are still on physical analog tape Mm -hmm. which means that i have to put them in an actual tape deck to watch them uh in real time i have so much respect for our editors throughout the years who were editing um with tape but uh yeah so i've just been binge watching all the uh the oldies and the goodies i was gonna say has it made you crazy yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's why that's why benny d is the way he is so just be careful <laughs> I, um, I won't get too too uh, uh enveloped into the whole thing <laughs> greg's talking about ben davis who produces all of our, our retro reviews and our marathons and uh, yeah it's a uh, it's, it's a formidable task, but uh, trust us, folks, uh, the end product, which will show up on your screens in May, uh, will be worth it. Uh, at least we hope so. We hope you like it. It's a lot of work that Jessica and everybody else is going through. Okay, I don't envy you. Uh, <laughs> let's move on, though. We've got, this is kind of, though, it's kind of funny that you, you even brought that up, because in a way, this is kind of a back to the future uh, type of podcast because the three vehicles we're going to talk about uh, they're all futuristic but they all definitely have their roots in previous vehicles or retro style or whatever uh, and Jessica I think we're going to start with you um, we're going to talk about uh, the revelations we now have about the uh, 2022 GMC Hummer EV SUV uh, which will follow up the pickup out in 21 or out 421. And so kind of give us an idea of um, what you're looking at besides that traditional uh, blunt uh, brick Hummer front end. Well, um, it's actually a 2024. Oh, 2024, uh, sorry. It is 2024 model year with a, it's expected in 2023. And that's when, so the, the pickup is 2022. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. The yes. 2023 model year 20 comes out in 2022. Yeah. Now every very it's very confusing. It's yes. so far down the road. Yeah. Neither one is happening anytime soon. Yeah. But here's some good info. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. And and if if all things go well, as, as we know, there's there's a lot of production issues that have been going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, so the if you've seen the Hummer pickup. 
Um, it, the, the Hummer EV looks very similar, um, but it is 20 inches shorter. Obviously it doesn't have a bed on it. And personally, I thought the dimensions of the pickup do look a little funky. Um, I think be, just because, I mean, there's a lot of room uh, for the driver and for um, the passengers in the back as well. And then you put a bed on the back of that. So um, the dimensions for the SUV being 20 inches shorter, not having this awkward bed on the back, I think looks very pleasing. It rounds off very nicely. The wheelbase is also a little bit shorter. I mean, I think Harmer did an excellent job of essentially looking at the H1 and the H2 and modernizing it. It's classics. It, it really is a, a modern, what you would expect a modern version of it to look like. Um, and it is, yeah, so it's not, it's not much different, uh, from the pickup truthfully, uh, the specs are really the, the biggest difference. Yeah. I mean, it has a little less range 300 versus uh, 350. Correct. What do you two guys think of it? To uh, Jessica's point about styling, it's like, um, imagine that H2 that everybody knows of the Hummer and just imagine if they just chiseled everything and kind of squished something like the grill and everything. And that, and that's what you're looking at. So they fully brought it into, you know, the 2020s. Uh, I don't know if it appeals to everybody kind of like the H2 does. It's just, I, I still feel like if you're into Hummers and having the big bad SUV, then you're going to be into it. But I still think it's going to off put some people even beyond you know throw aside the ev powertrain i think it's still going to kind of rub some people the wrong way as most things do it's got an uh, awful lot of off-road technology in it brian can you talk to that yes that's what i was going to talk about it's got all the tech like the crab walking feature and just because it's shorter and uh you know be better off-road situations plus it gets the benefits of like we said, it's still quite a few years away. So any benefits that come along by going to pick up, they can put right into that. I think that's a good thing. Um, I think it, to me, I think it looks more like the H3 than, than an H2, uh, which I don't know. It's Hummer-ish. Uh, so it's just super pricey. Certainly the first ones that are coming out. And then another, it's like another three years down the road until they get to the base models that are like $80,000. The earlier ones are all up around, uh, if not well over 100000 The I explained uh, to folks who may not be aware of what the crab walk feature is, how that works. Oh, well, a lot of vehicles have four-wheel steering now. That's not necessarily new. But with this one, it's just really exaggerated. And with having the motors back there, um, you know, you can, when you turn the, wheels to the right the rear wheels also turn i'm not i'm not sure the percentage but um a decent amount also right and you can almost just like almost go parallel like around an object and uh super helpful off-road and you know even in town if you're trying to parallel park or something like that yeah it's it's kind of aimed at off-roading still but like the whole and we talked about this with the f-150 almost like disaster relief because it has an onboard generator that you could charge other cars with. Um, so, I mean, add that in with how big and rugged it is, the crab walk. And I mean, you can go into, you know, tornado hurricane areas and like, it could actually do some, some real good. I mean, if, if whoever agency can afford it, first mm -hmm. of all. Well, I think it worries me is, um, you know, that's, 
it, it's several years away. And at this point, they're still talking about 300 miles of range. I must say I was expecting more. Now, maybe it'll be more by the time it gets here. But what worries me is that usually um, a good size SUV like that, people want to take for long distance trips and you're really not going to be able to do that. I mean, they're even talking about putting charging stations next to trailheads and stuff. I mean, you're talking about a lot of power in places where there is no power. So I don't know, uh, or very little. They're going to have to. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, they're going to have to beef up that 800 volt infrastructure because that seems like what all the new EVs are really kind of banking on. They're 400 volt compatible, but ideally it's 800 volt. And that's going to be to where you can stop for like a half hour and get quite a bit of range. Yeah. Yeah, If it it tows like 8,000 pounds, uh, I'd be all aboard for uh, having like an 8,000 pound accessory battery you could pull behind. Well, well, John, you know, you know, yeah. what is interesting, too, is uh, Chevy recently announced that they're going to use the, the, the GM Ultium platform to build a Silverado. Yes. And they are expecting the Silverado to get uh, a 400 mile range. So yeah, I wondered about that, too. And I'm, I'm figuring that must maybe that says something about weight. I don't know. Or maybe that's potentially, you know, it could be. But yeah, they, they did make and that was like made within days of when they talked about this uh, EV SUV. So I'm excited to drive this thing. I mean, it should be awesome. It <laughs> should mean, be to, to road test this thing. I'm yeah. really excited. Hopefully I'm still around in 2023. I certainly hope you will be. I hope we all are. Um, Let's go to our second vehicle, I and mean, we're actually going to uh, head down to Brian on the screen now. Uh, the 2022 Toyota GR86, quote unquote, all new. What is it? What's all new about it? Um, take it away. Yeah, for those that don't know, the 86 is the platform made with the Subaru BRZ and began life as the Scion FRS back when Scion was a thing. Uh, the biggest thing right. has going for it is just a super lightweight, low to the ground, rear wheel drive, inexpensive sports car, things we constantly hear no one makes anymore. Uh, well, they do make right. it, just not many people buy it. Uh, it's always looked fantastic, I think. It's got the two door coupe, obviously, a chunky rear, um, like a, but Real not flashy. Long, uh... Correct, but not flashy, really. Uh, kind of conservative looking, less hot roddy than the Supra, if you will. Uh, the biggest change, it has gotten a little bit bigger with the new one, uh, not much, a little bit heavier. The front end is the biggest difference. The current one has like a ginormous mouth to it. The whole front end is like a mouth. The newer one, it's smaller. The front end, the body kind of wraps around a little more. I think it's a much better look. They added the GR to it like they did with the Supra to give the Gazoo uh, Racing guys some props for uh, putting it all together. The biggest knock uh, has always been – the amount of power that it has, I wouldn't say it's underpowered, uh, but it's not a car that's going to get away from you. Um, and it's certainly uh, more than six seconds is 60, which that's an eternity for anything you want to call a sports car. So they did address that. It's got a little uh, bump in horsepower, I think uh, maybe 30 more horsepower or so, but it's still only like 230 some. We're not sure on the exact specs because this one, the one they showed was the uh, Jap, uh, Japanese spec version. Not sure if we'll get the same one or not. Uh, anyway, ton of fun. Looks better than ever. You still get a manual, which is great. And it's a good, 
it's a good manual too. It's just one of those cars that, you know, is it more fun to drive a fast car slow or a slow car fast? And this is certainly the slow car fast category. Anyone else? Yeah, Robinson nailed it right there. It's with the uh, previous FRS, uh, well, became 86 and the BRZ with distance, I always found myself kind of thinking it wasn't as good as good as it is because you start looking at the numbers again you're like oh man it's just it needs like 50 more horsepower but every time i got back into one it was like man this thing's fun and that just speaks to the fact that it's so light it's so well balanced the previous one of course it just doesn't need that much power to have fun especially when you pair it with a manual transmission so there's a little bit more of a, a power bump here i suspect that won't be I don't think that's going to throw it into a new power category. I think it's still just going to be the fun to throw around and not be too scared to do so because, you know, it was always a pretty controllable car. Really sounds like we're talking about the Miata too, in a way, several of the hard top, you know, it's fun, but no power. Jessica. Well, you know, a lot of people, I read the comments and, and they're always wanting manual transmissions and cars mm -hmm. where manual transmissions are not available. And there are these select few uh, vehicles that are still being made with new with a manual transmission. Um, and it is not a uh, black wing, which is gonna cost you a, a small fortune. It, these are affordable, uh, well, quote unquote affordable as uh, you know, many, we were talking about this recently, but uh, that you know, new car, new cars, the average price is about forty thousand dollars these days. But um, anything under that, I could be considered quote unquote affordable. So um, you know, these are small, lightweight vehicles that are fun to drive with a manual transmission. I I don't really know that um, you can ask for too much more in in sort of the the vehicle climate today, truthfully. And it's not huge you know it's like we were just talking on a shoot the other day jessica mentioned it you know when you get into something smaller you know than some of these big behemoth suvs we test like a like a brz or, or this or or a, a mini cooper or something uh you're enveloped with the car and and i look at this uh gr86 as one of those cars that you almost wear and, and it makes you feel much more intimate with uh, the car and the road. And, and that, I think that's where the fun factor comes in, a lot of it, just feeling like you're connected. Okay, thanks everybody. Uh, let's move on uh, to, I guess, the most futuristic uh, and in some ways, look anyway, although I think it still looks like it's been around a long time, the 2021 Karma GS6. Uh, Greg, this car's got a heck of a history. Kind of uh, fill us in on what it is and what it was before and where it's going. So Karma sounds familiar. If it, if it does sound familiar to you, it's because it was originally the name of a car under the Fisker brand, Hendrick Fisker, who designed some very beautiful cars, uh, made a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle back uh, early part of the, the 2010s, I think 2012, I think is when this one came out roughly. Br uh, BR2, you might actually have a better idea. Uh, I was just going to say back when we had to explain to people what plug-in <laughs> hybrids were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So now um, I'll save some of the, uh, the, the, the details, but 
uh, Fisker is gone. It is, he has moved to, uh, he still has a, a company named Fisker, but the car, the design, everything remained with the new company that rose from the ashes, which is Karma. It went on from there, if you're still with me, to be named the Rivero. So again, same car, same platform. They tweaked some styling, but a new name. Now here we are in 2021, we have the GS6, uh, part of the GS lineup, still basically the same car, more, more tweaks, a little bit to the powertrain in terms of uh, uh, modernizing it, giving it some more EV range. Uh, but um, here we have the, like I said, the GS6, which we recently drove, not fully electric yet. Uh, Karma will be fully electric with the GSE6. So that'll be coming down the road and should be um, 300 miles, roughly EV range. But back to the car we actually drove. So um, this one, like I said, is just a beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous Fisker design. It's got that Grand Tour style cab backwards, really, really long front end. It is a four door though. You can get, and I did get a couple of people in the back seat, but they don't have a lot of room to play around. <laughs> so it's very Almost much a two plus two. So. Yeah, exactly. It's a two plus two. Um, but I probably got more looks driving around in this thing than I have in Corvettes and any number of cars that cost hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars, which this one actually did reach the hundred thousand dollar mark. So the GS six will now start at 86 grand, the Rivero, which they still have same basic design. This is getting confusing um moves more upscale so that's the more expensive one uh but as far as uh you know what the car is as i mentioned it is a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle which means you can plug it in you can get up to about 60 miles of ev driving and that's purely electric the engine won't kick in even up at highway speeds uh, but if you run out of battery power uh, or you're in a different mode it has three different driving modes you can use it as a traditional hybrid but a traditional hybrid as in how the Volt works, where the engine, which is a BMW sourced i3, uh, actually just acts as a generator. Nice. So it just powers the battery, which then powers the two rear motors, making it a rear wheel drive car with power to each wheel individually. Total system output is about 530 horsepower, 550 pound feet of torque. So it's not like 911 turbo quick, but it's still around four seconds, four and a half seconds to 60. And when you have that full battery charge, I mean, it's, it's instant, which is really yeah. cool. That's, that's reason enough to keep the battery charged, not necessarily just to drive around on battery power alone. I mean, you get some real performance advantages. Really kind of, you're right. You hit the nail on the head though. It has that cl classic uh, grand touring look, really long nose. Even the interior is pretty classic looking with the round vents and, uh, you know, it, it, I guess in a way, it really doesn't look very futuristic. But uh, anyone else? Yeah, I would just say classic, dated, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, the original when it came out, it kind of blew, blew me away just because it was so yeah. different. But there, there's a lot of cars now that have the same kind of lines to it, which, you know, I'm, they may have copied it. That's fine. But um, it looks okay. Uh, now I wish them the best. Now's a great time for new brands to get out there when mm. we're making this transition from uh, traditional gas power cars to EVs. Really, the uh, you know it's an open book at this point. You can pretty much put anything out there with a battery and um, should be able to sell a few of them. And it's not to me, it's not outrageously priced 
for certainly uh, for as unique as unique as it is. And I think that the quality there is too, and from the interior, um, I thought it was great. You kind of expect these small car companies to have to cut corners. It seems like they put a lot of effort now that it's kind of been the same car moving forward for almost a decade now, but I, it's absolutely comparable to what you would see in a Mercedes, BMW, any of the major luxury brands. Jessica, any, uh, any closing thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it, it, I really like the look. I actually saw an original Fisker, uh, uh, Karma, Karma Fisker, um, or Fisker Karma. Fisker Karma. Fisker yeah. Karma. Yeah, <laughs> On original one, just a couple of weeks ago driving around. And um, I thought it aged pretty well. So I know that obviously there has been some tweaks to it uh, on the exterior to keep it uh, more modern. Um, but no, I, I mean, I think it, it looks very nice. Nice to drive too. I don't think I even mentioned that. It's, uh, <laughs> no, you didn't. But yeah, yeah. Like, we should talk about how it was to drive. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's low. It's I w it's not um, not necessarily a performance car like something I'd want to take to the track, but it drives great on the highway. I was Grand Tour. Yeah, I mean, I was really really happy with how it drove at speed at, uh, at highway speeds. That is, uh, it's quiet on the inside, and uh, I like being able. So it has paddle shifters, but they're not shifters. They're just paddles to control the amount of regenerative braking and the drive mode like stealth mode and then you can go into like a sport mode and and somewhere in between but uh i mean when you go to stealth mode that's exactly what it is i mean if you have the battery power it'll silently cruise for i mean i had at least of the 60 miles it says it can get i was well into the 50s wow interesting car interesting times and a lot more EVs coming, especially if the um, uh, Biden administration uh, plan for infrastructure goes through. And that's our lightning round question today. Um, everybody probably knows there's been a $2 trillion infrastructure plan that's been floated. And uh, it's going to address, among other things. But it's also going to be focusing uh, quite a bit of money, about $174 million to boost electric vehicles with rebates and more charging stations and that big thing about charging stations. Uh, and by the way, those of you that are seeing drop up out today, it's also gonna uh, address some of the uh, um, high-speed internet uh, situations across the country. So, but anyway, let's forget about the money right now and really look at the, the core things that, that both today and future, uh, should this kind of bill be focused on the here and now and repairing roads, repairing the bridges, uh, or should it be looking in the future and spend more of its time looking at battery charging and electrical infrastructure? Uh, with that, uh, I'll hush. And so what do you think? The easy answer is probably the roads, because if there are no roads and bridges to drive on, what's the point of electrifying cars? Uh, but, I, you know, I, I'll take the the other way and say that I think we need to really start focusing, you know, 15, 20, 30 years, whatever it is down the road, because, uh, you know, the climate issue is not going to go away. We have to actively try to get off of fossil fuels. And as as maybe 
uh, you know, too forward thinking as it seems now, I don't see it that way at all. I think you really have to start looking sometimes decades down the road. Yeah, I don't know why it has to be one or the other. We certainly, as big as the bill is, uh, there's room for both in there. And uh, I don't, without getting into political discussion, I just wish we would have a bill that addressed one thing instead of calling it one thing and addressing 74 other things. That would appeal to me anyway, but that's neither here nor there. Um, if I had to choose one, I would go with the EV infrastructure uh, so that I could buy a Hummer EV SUV and then I wouldn't really need roads at that point. So, <laughs> uh, we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, your two cents. Well, um, you know, it's really interesting uh, because looking through some of our old seasons, you know, we were certainly very well aware of uh, alternate fuel vehicles, which is what we used to call them, AFVs. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, I guess you could still technically call them that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm sort of 50-50 on it, mostly just because I've seen a lot of really, really awful roads. And um, I'm sure we all know somebody who's had maybe a, a, a vehicle wrecked due to bad roads. I know certainly I've driven along um, the notorious uh, BW Parkway, um, which is essentially one, one of the few ways to get from our side, Baltimore to DC. And traffic is always bad there because of, um, you know, potholes in the roads and to me that like that was the first time i'd ever seen like traffic like it wasn't because there was a lot of cars on the road it was because the roads were so awful so i think it has to be both you know because obviously uh evs and their infrastructure uh evs rebates you know making sure people can buy them um although we've seen a lot of um evs starting to come down in price getting much closer to um, what you would probably buy a, a typical car for getting close to there. I mean, Audi just came out with the, the Q4. We just heard about that the other day. I think it was actually just yesterday, the Q4 e-tron. And that's supposed to start under $45,000 without any tax incentives. Um, so there's available options, but yeah, definitely getting them to people is, um, I th is important. Another way to think about the actual road infrastructure problem is getting cars off of it, which as we've seen during the pandemic is mm. there's quite a few people who can work from home very competently and maybe even more so than coming into an office. And we can, people who want to work from home and who can work from home should be able to, and that keeps a lot of people off the roads and a lot of money out of having to fix roads. And that money should go into fixing our internet system across the country. <laughs> I don't know about you, but even this, uh, this podcast today, it's really dropping in and out a lot. So we apologize if you're missing uh, every fifth word of what we're saying. All right, it's very interesting comments from all of you and, and very good, well-made points. Uh, we've got a, a viewer talking about technology right now, um, a viewer question from Kai. Um, and here, I'll read it uh, verbatim off the sheet. I'm having trouble understanding, and you're not alone, Kai, 
understanding the difference between lane departure warning that's on many new cars today and lane keeping assist. Can you help me out? What's the difference and which is better? Yeah, so I mean, the key words in both of those phrases, you have warning and you have assist. So mm -hmm. for lane departure warning, it's only going to give you, it's going to give you an audio cue. It's probably going to give you a visual cue. If you had, a, if you have a head up display, they even have the cues in the head up display, or you might see it right on your dash. So it's only going to tell you that you're moving sort of out of a lane. Um, whereas the lane keeping assist that will actually, you'll feel likely a jolt in your steering wheel. It'll probably steer for you a little bit automatically to keep you in the lane. It might even break for you. Um, so they're, they're very, they're two very different um, programs. Uh, whether I, I certainly am not the biggest fan of lane keeping assist. Um, but why? why? Tell us why. I, I don't like it on uh, I, I like it on highways, don't like it on two lane roads, mm. mostly just because it's very touchy. It is touchy sometimes. Um, but I do know, I will say this, that we have older viewers who are interested in the, you know, in something like lane keeping assist and these options, these safety features in their vehicles, just because I think, uh, you know, as you get older, you get uh, a little bit, you know, more fearful driving, like in certain Careful. Yeah, I, I was waiting for her to say uh, th that was handled very well. <laughs> hey, I wear glasses. I understand, you know, not being able to, uh, uh, or just even being a little scared driving in certain conditions at night, um, in the rain. Uh, so I, I totally, I, I completely understand that. And a lot of people like having that safety of something like lane keeping assist or some of these driver assistance features to make sure that um, you know they're driving as like, safely as possible. Anybody else? Yeah, I kind of admittedly turn all of them off when I get in the cars. <laughs> I, because at this point, I've, I've driven so many of them and I know what they do. I don't feel like I have to, unless there's a major update to one or maybe one uses, uses brake, braking or something. I, I know what they do and I just don't like them that's just my feelings on it maybe uh, maybe i'm not safe i don't know but i've i've driven many many miles without them and i've been doing okay Brian, yep, nope yep nothing i could add that was a very comprehensive uh, overview yeah i will i just spent a year driving a hyundai palisade with uh, actually both systems and um, you know initially i was very annoyed on even interstates uh with it tugging at the wheel. It had basically, you know, the lane keep assist was dominant after it warned you it would go into action. Finally, after about eight or nine months, I recognized that the real safety aspect of it was if you are driving on long distances and it's boring and your mind starts to wander, you know, you just can't help it. It's just the mile after mile that when you would get to a slight turn in the road, because interstates usually don't have sharp turns, you would feel that tug and it would bring your attention back to the road, which was a safe thing. Now it's bad for me that I was, my mind was drifting, but it's good for me that there was something that was giving me a subtle 
you know, tap on the head, hey, pay attention, stupid. Um, so I actually had a grudge of respect says? for it. Huh? <laughs> Is that what it says? <laughs> no, it's just probably what it should say if you if you really uh, were being uh, uh, un-PC. But so it, it has its value. And I have to admit, you know, as the oldest person in this uh, little forum today, uh, it's probably has its real advantages for people that are getting up in years, but okay. it is a safety thing. But I have to also say that every test car we get in, if someone else has been from the staff's been in it, the systems have been turned off. So I'll say this, All right? Like I said, I, I don't generally use the lane departure warning or the lane keeping assist, but all it takes is one time for it to save you, to make you a believer because it's happened with, um forward collision warning for me mm -hmm. and it wasn't even because i wasn't paying attention it was just because like it reacted so quickly and it it hit the brakes which even like i said i was still paying attention but i was in control of the car but after i realized and calmed down like what had happened it's such a great piece of technology because there's just so often so many people aren't paying attention and i'm not going to comment on how many people don't pay attention but it's Ultimately, it is a good thing. The systems are a good thing, and they're only going to get better. And, and we should point out that the systems only activate when you are doing something unsafe, right. which is drifting out yeah. of your lane. I've, I've never experienced one that did it when it shouldn't do it. I mean, granted, I would like some to be give me a little bit more leeway, but it's never just done it out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think sometimes... Um... I've noticed every Kia that we get into, like they have the, like the forward collision assist in it. And a lot of times, and I, maybe this just, this just speaks maybe to just how I drive, which I know is not how a lot of other people drive. Um, I'm a pretty defensive driver. I, I'm always anticipating somebody making the wrong move. Um, and so like occasionally the front collision assist would pop on of something I was 100% aware of. I knew I was slowing down, but I wasn't slowing down as quick as the car wanted me to. Um, so I think, you know, sometimes, sometimes the, these things will come on and it'll just remind me, okay, like I'm, I'm aware of things that are going on and so is the car and the car. And, I, and then I sort of makes me feel good about other people who might not be as in tune when they're driving because I certainly have met people who are not as um, what's what's a good word passionate or or even just like confident in their driving as myself. So competent, competent. Oh uh, yeah, competent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's probably that's probably the best word. So yeah. Thank you all, Kai. I hope that I answered your question. Warning is warning, and the lane keeping assist is an active safety system. Uh, before we wrap things up for good, any rat and raves from anybody? I just want to revisit one about I've, I've uh, been a staunch, uh, so I guess I can't think of the proper word right now. Anyway, I don't, <laughs> I don't like when people pull through parking spaces in the <laughs> uh, uh, parking lot. And I want everybody to know I've softened. It's okay in certain situations, not every situation. But if you safely do it, I'm okay with it. But why? Why don't you like that? What? What is that? I've remind everybody on what the real bug is for you. Because especially if there's more than one or two cars in the area of, let's say, the four square of spaces, 
I've seen it happen and it's happened to me where somebody pulls through and somebody else is pulling in. You don't, there's no line of sight if there are other cars. So somebody could be pulling through a parking space when somebody's trying to pull into that parking space. And I just, I think that could be eliminated by just not doing it. If there's nobody around, whatever, I don't care. But just if you're going to do it, you got to be super careful. But what, what I will uh, rally against this time is people who will cross spaces, not even getting into a space oh. or out of a space just to get to another lane. Right. Like, that's just no, like, come on, man, just just go around. And it's like I've seen like three or four lanes of parking spots. I'll just go so they can make a beeline to a parking spot that somebody's pulling out of and they'll wait for for like two minutes. It is unsafe. I just want everybody to know I've softened. So <laughs> that's good to know. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you, Greg. I mean, uh, parking lots are so dangerous. I, I mean, I drive a, a vehicle that doesn't have a backup camera in it. So whenever I'm in a test car that has a backup camera, it's like a saving grace. I mean, holy moly, has it changed the game? I've, I feel so much safer backing out of somewhere in a very busy parking lot now of course you know making sure i'm also looking around while while using the camera as as uh, well camera is more of a of a you know it, it should be secondary um but yeah no i agree with you greg I, I was more comfortable driving on the autobahn at 150 miles per hour <laughs> by myself for the first uh, first time i've ever been in germany not knowing where i'm going I, was, I felt safer there than I do in any parking lot. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I think, I think that's true. I think you are. <laughs> All right. I'm going to wrap things up because I don't know about you, but my internet uh, keeps going in and out. Uh, thanks everybody, Jessica, Greg, Brian. Thanks everybody uh, out there for uh, listening and watching our podcast today to Jim Bigwood, our uh, audio engineer that makes sure we come through loud and clear every week. Greg, of course, our producer and Bob Mixter, who invented this whole uh, idea in the first place. Thanks to all of you. Be sure to catch Motor Week uh, on your local public television station. If you don't know where, go to the motorweek.org website, hit up the button that says about the show. You can put in your zip code and find the local airtimes. Also over on our uh, Motor Trend cable partner on Tuesday nights, uh, new shows show up every week. And um, of course on youtube.com slash motorweek, you can see everything we've done uh, past, present, and almost future. To everybody out there, thanks very much for joining us, and thanks one and all for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.